and a wonderful moment of, of worship for me. And I would just say uh, good morning and thank you. It's, a, it's an honest pleasure to be here in worship with you face to face. What a gift we have in gathering and in worshiping, whether we're here, whether we're uh, gathering remotely, to, to stop from the routine and to allow the focus that is often too small and too much on ourselves to become greater, to allow our, our fear to turn to courage, to allow our worry to turn to hope. It's a gift to be in worship together with you. Thank you for inviting me here. Our text this morning, there's a lot of little pieces to that one, but I want to just start with the odd one. You are worth more than many sparrows. This is some part of God's unusual accounting, I suppose. We don't use that method at Facing Forward. Uh, I've run into a few churches uh, around the world that might, but have you ever stopped just to pause on that moment? What does that mean? How many sparrows do you think? For you, for me. And you know, it also says, if we're going to get contextual, it says that uh, the hair on my head is being counted in the wrong direction, but it's being counted. There's a clock in heaven ticking down. And I hope they're not tied together somehow. As the hair decreases, so do my worth in sparrow. I think maybe weight. That would be good. If I were to be measured in weight against sparrow, I would do very well. What, what is it? It makes me think of a time I spent with a, a church in uh, a rural, it's a Mayan community, a very rural community in Latin America, down in very southern Chiapas. And I uh, was part of a 10-year partnership in this community. And as we got to know each other, I remember <coughs> one day sitting with a few of the elders, having casual conversations, sort of sharing sort of cultural frames of reference. So they said, tell me about marriage in your community. And I was unaware of um, the things. Polygamy still practiced there, you know, common for a man of means to have multiple wives. Um, and so we, as we shared, I have, they speak Celtal, second language, Spanish. I speak English and not very well. So forget Spanish, forget Celtal, so it was a mess. But the best I could come up with, and forgive me for this, but the best I could come up with to explain that in the United States that you don't purchase a wife the way they do there, uh, was to say that in America, women are free. And the reaction, the Dios mio, the men were so excited and said, how can we come to America and get some wives? <laughs> so there was a woman, one of our own elders sitting with us there. And um, unfortunately for her, she became affectionately now and forever known as Two Goat Amy, as we <laughs> decided we would measure her worth in goat. It's a, weird, it's a weird math. I later learned from a pastor in Africa that at least where he is, no wife could cost two goats, far too much. I don't know. I don't know, but the reality is these insignificant, seemingly, maybe compared to us, but these are very small and abundant sparrows, none fall to the ground. Nothing happens in the life of a sparrow that isn't accounted by God. Not a hair falls from my head, as many as may be falling, that doesn't get accounted by God. So in this text, because God is just abundantly paying attention to our lives, in this text we're told, don't be afraid. In fact, in our scripture, and this is a, uh, one of those traditional 
pastor tricks to highlight how many times things are said in the Bible. So I'm going to do that for you this morning. I know you've, you know, been abused by that many times. So why not today? Uh, over 150 times in Scripture. Actually, it's nearly 150 times. Scripture says directly, don't be afraid. And then there's a whole group of other statements that are uh, married to it. Uh, have courage. Be of good courage. So over 150, many, many times over 150, an abundance of times in Scripture, we're told, don't be afraid. This is what the message was for Moses and Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. As they were being invited to face the greatest power on planet Earth, the Pharaoh. Be invited to lead a people of slavery into freedom, into the unknown, across a great desert, into God's promises. An analogy for our life in Christ, an analogy for our journey in Christ out of slavery across many unknowns and challenges and risks and things that are fearful into freedom, into abundance. So as I thought about this, I want to be honest with you, as I thought about the abundance of times we're told to not be afraid, the first thing that came to my mind was like, this feels like those things that sometimes we do when we're uncomfortable with how somebody else feels. Do you know what I mean? When, when somebody's maybe sad and crying, we might find ourselves saying, it's okay, don't cry. Well, why? Because I'm uncomfortable with you crying? I mean, isn't crying a perfectly healthy, appropriate, normal response to the sadness that you're feeling? And it started to feel that way to me. Why does God keep telling me, don't be afraid? I look around and I think maybe there's a lot to be afraid of. I go into neighborhoods, uh, not every day, but you know, when I commute to the office, my work is in places in the city that are deeply marked by poverty and violence and addiction, prostitution, and you name it. What do we say? Do we just say, don't be afraid? Is this what God is doing? Could this be God's big plan? Just to offer the divine corrective, don't be afraid, when actually fear might be a very healthy, normal response to the circumstances of your life. I think about my clients at Facing Forward and their often very extreme circumstances. I think about um, so many, but today I thought about uh, a young woman um, three small children, married and in an environment of uh, persistent abuse and trauma, faced with a terrible decision. Stay and face that abuse or go and face the unknown. Not unlike the slaves in Egypt and frankly not unlike places in our own lives. This woman faced with the reality that if she leaves, she has nowhere to go. No income, no job, no place to sleep, no place to get food, no security whatsoever, no family to take care of her. And frankly, what I think to be one of the most terrifying realities on planet Earth, the reality that she is alone in her terrifying circumstances. So as I think about this message from God, do not be afraid, I think about this woman, and so many others. And so don't be afraid. I'll put it to us. Platitude or empowerment? 
Which is it? Of course, we as people of faith, we've shown up here at church this morning. We want to believe empowerment. So we'll go down that road this morning. Because I believe it's a message of empowerment. But I had to take a moment and be honest with myself so that I could arrive at what is this message. Because it can feel like if I say to a client of ours, don't be afraid. You better be thoughtful about what I'm saying. Am I just working in some way to make myself feel more comfortable? Or do I have a, an authentic message of hope and, and promise and security and support and community? I don't think the answer is to, uh, as they say, whistle in the cemetery, to simply deny our fear. I don't think the answer is to pretend that we're not afraid. And so I titled the message today, you know, the Bible says, do not be afraid. And so my sermon message titled this morning is actually I'm terrified. And sometimes I am. And a message from God that says, don't be afraid, doesn't necessarily make me not terrified. So what does it do? And I would suggest to you this morning that the answer to that question is to not let fear be the master of your life. And I think this is very consistent with the whole message of Scripture. To let nothing but God master us. Not that we should not experience fear, that we should not experience sadness or, or anger or some of these other things that Scripture talks about, but that we shouldn't let them master us. Being afraid shouldn't dictate how I choose to live. It shouldn't dictate the choices that I make. So don't let the fear that you experience define you. So as you hear those words this morning, do not be afraid. I invite you to hear, don't let the fear define you. Don't let it master you. Don't let it make your decisions for you. And I hope, even as I am right here, right now, you're beginning to feel a little uncomfortable. Because if I say that, I better start to live it. If I believe that, got to take some action to move in the direction of my faith. That alone can be terrifying. Because what I'm afraid of might be quite real. Just like this woman faced with that terrible decision. And so it becomes uncomfortable to, to think about what it means to us that God says so regularly to you and to me, don't be afraid. What does it mean when God says, have courage to act in the direction of your faith. What does it mean today? What does it mean for you and me? Where might God be leading us? That alone is a terrifying thought because we already have a frame of reference for where God is leading us, all of us, everywhere. Take up your cross daily and follow me, he says. That's terrifying. God is saying, as I wake up in the morning, my, my thoughts ought to be, how, how am I being invited to live with courage today so that I can become what God has made me to become, a greater light to this world, so that my life can be more a reflection of what God has designed it to be. The, just a few verses before our scripture, John 10, 10, have come that you might have life and have it in abundance. How? Do I need courage to move in the direction of abundant living and being a greater light and being uh, more free today than I was yesterday? To do that, I have to take up my cross. I have to take up a kind of dying 
and I have to follow. So have the courage to believe. And this one, I think, is at the heart and soul of much of our fear, much of mine for sure. But have the courage today to believe that you are worthy, that you are enough, not that you will be, that you are. That right now, whatever your past, whatever the circumstances of the moment you're in, whatever your future may bring, you are enough. In God's eyes, in God's heart, in God's mind, and in God's hands, today in this moment you are enough. You don't have to keep proving it. You are worthy. You are worthy to be called son and daughter of God, child of God. You are worthy to be called disciple. You are worthy to be called Christian. And from that place of strength and worthiness, you are sent to kind of dying and rising and to a greater light in our world. And so I invite you today to have the courage to believe that you're worthy, that you have value, however you want to measure it, in sparrows or in goats or whatever. It is simply true of you. Whatever mistakes you made on your way here this morning, you're still worthy. Whatever you make after even moments of great faith, maybe this morning, on your way home, you're still worthy. And so I think God is inviting us into an identity shift where our courage is rooted in our identity in Christ because we are worthy. It's hard sometimes to believe this. There are so many voices, and most often our own, telling us that we're not, that we have to keep hustling to feel worthy, that we have to keep reforming, we have to keep achieving to feel worthy, we have to climb the next mountain to feel worthy. It never ends. So have the courage to believe today that just as you are, you are fully loved and cherished by God and you are worthy. And so scripture says to us again and again and again and again and again, and I need to hear it again and again. I hope I get to hear it on the way home today because I am frankly terrified. Too often, too cowardly. Too often, unwilling to take the risk that the moment might ask of I don't know what that is or will be next. And I don't know what it is for you. But I hope and I pray that in these moments, you and I both are inviting the Holy Spirit to lead us out from whatever our Egyptian slavery may be into the unknown, into our courage, that we might be more fully alive in Christ and more fully light in this world. So what are we so afraid of, I wonder? I mean, I think about it in my life. The fact is, my needs are well met. I'm well fed. I have a comfortable place to sleep. I can keep the air conditioning as low as I like, except for the ongoing battle with my wife, who I wonder if she's watching. Um, I'll have to deal with that later if she is. But it, uh, we've been married nearly 30 years, and it remains. She, in fact, just the other day, she sent me, after one of our thermostat conversations, uh, she sent me a text with a picture of a uh, like fake thermostat, so that so that you you know if I got one I could at least come and pretend to have some control over the temperature of my life, which I thought was cute, um, frustrating nonetheless. The reality is my needs are met, and I am surrounded by people who love me anyway, and that is not an easy job, but I am. And I am still terrified. 
What am I afraid of? Oh, we could run through the list. We could, we could have a shout out, you know. There's rejection, failure. I'll, you know, we'll just stop there. That's more than enough to chew on, right? That persistent fear, I'm just not enough. Money, I don't know. The one that I think I'm most afraid of, I maybe you too. How long has it been since you've had an MRI? That machine is terrifying. You know, shove a guy like me into a small hole and noise and everything. That's to, I start to feel panic right now thinking about that machine. I don't know where your fear lives, and only sometimes do I know where mine does, but it exists. And so what do I do with this message? Don't be afraid. It's such a good message in reality because, as I've said, I'm terrified. And in reality, I am not alone. That is undoubtedly my greatest fear in this life, to really be alone. And so I think of that woman, and for her to have the courage to take her children and leave that home of abuse, knowing that she was alone. She didn't have family she could go back to. She didn't have a bank account to keep her stable. She didn't have the money to go find a hotel. She didn't have childcare worked out for her children. They just needed to go. And she had to face the reality that in that moment, she was alone, but had to be there for her children so that they were not. This, uh, I'll kind of wrap up here for us. This, this woman, uh, it's, a, it's a true story of a real woman that I know. She found the courage to leave, and uh, she had the ability to rent a storage locker. And so she rented the storage locker for a month. It was, it was on the edge of winter. So she rented a storage locker, and then after hours, they would sneak back in. And uh, they lived through their winter in a storage locker using a bungee cord to hold the door closed behind them, huddling in there together under blankets over, overnight to try to stay warm, sneaking out early in the morning to try to not be caught. And the journey that she undertook with her and her children is uh, really a, a wild testimony of great courage. And as she finds facing forward, and I'm proud to say that in facing forward, her and her children are not alone. That with you and this church, they are not alone. And they found uh, an apartment. And they found rental subsidy to make sure they could stay in that apartment. And they found the kind of uh, wraparound services to make sure they could address the trauma and stabilize the children and, and deal with educational needs for mom and the kids, employment needs for mom and the kids grow and they go to school and they stabilize and they graduate high school instead of living life on the streets. And I'm thankful to say for this woman and in this particular program, we run a variety of programs in this particular program, one of the things that this family received was time. In this particular program, there's no end date to the program. They stay as long as it takes. And so often for young moms with children, it's years, five years, six years, seven years, eight years to be able to have the resources physically, economically, socially, emotionally, etc., to be able to leave the program and to go out into the community and pay their own rent and, and move on with their lives. And I'm thankful to say that with God's help, she found us and together we were able to walk that journey. And so I, I, I finished just simply saying this to you, that today is an invitation to a kind of
courageous faith. And I hope that neither one of us will leave today not thinking a little more about a John 10.10. I've come that you might have life and have it to the full or have it abundantly. That this is for you today. But it does require some courage. And so an openness to the Holy Spirit to lead you out into something, some act of courage. And the thing that I'll close with is this. Courage should not be done alone. Bring other people into your life and share how you're being led out and learn from their wisdom and find strength in their support. And then finally, courage is not a one-time deal. Courage is waking up in the morning and remembering what we are called to and following Jesus every day toward that abundant life. So courage is something we practice. Courage is something we get better at. And I hope the next time I get to come up here, I'll be a little better at it than I am today. And I hope you are too. And this I offer in Jesus' name. Amen.